Good morning. I want to welcome you to First Baptist Sandy Springs on a beautiful, beautiful day. The sun is shining. We might have a little liquid this, this afternoon, but the sun is shining this morning. Beautiful day just for you, just for me that the Lord has prepared. And we're here to worship, so I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing together. If you are capable of standing, if not, just remain seated.
Pure 
This is a new face you've never seen here before. She's visiting with us to sing this morning. My wife met her at the grocery store. <laughs> this is Miss Kelsey Stone, and she is a group leader and works with the middle schoolers at Woodstock City Church in Woodstock. And I think this is a satellite of uh, one of the Andy Stanley's churches. So. Uh, she's a supervisor at Chick-fil-A, and she's also a talented writer with a, a published book. Um, she is here today with Will, her friend. He could be my grandson, Will, but he's not. But anyway, we want to welcome you, Will. And Kelsey, we want to welcome you to Thank sing you with so us today. Much. Thank you. Tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean. 
of who I am, but because of what you've done, not because of what I've done, but because of who you Chelsea, thank you. Kay, thank you for shopping wherever you shop. That's fabulous. God is good. Can you pray wrongly? Sure you can. Sure you can. Um, and we're wrapping up the Lord's Prayer today, which is a wonderful way to pray. And right before Jesus taught it, he talked about people praying wrongly. I want to show you how he set the stage, and then we're going to jump to the end of the Lord's Prayer where we find ourselves today. So this prayer of Jesus is a model, and it stands in stark contrast to the way people were praying in his day. Before he teaches this prayer to his disciples, we see two groups praying wrongly. And Jesus wants us to pray correctly. There were the Pharisees praying wrongly and the pagans praying wrongly. The Pharisees' prayer is in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6, and it's characterized by hypocrisy. Whenever you pray, Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. Something jumped out at me that I'd never noticed before. I've read that verse a thousand times. Why would you stand at a street corner? There's more traffic there. There's two streets. It's an intersection. You're doubling your chances of being seen. And so that's what it was all about. Look at me. Look at me. I'm over here and I'm praying and I'm special and it's about me. And it broke Jesus' heart. So that's the first illustration of 
horrible praying. Nothing about God. And then there were the pagans. And we see them in verse 7. And when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they'll be heard for their many words. So the problem with this praying is it is just using repetition. They think they'll be heard because they just use a lot of words. So the Pharisees prayed hypocritically and the pagans prayed mechanically. They just would kind of regurgitate something over and over and over again, thinking that the more they said it. So the Pharisees were selfish and the pagans were mindless. And the Pharisees were hypocritical and the pagans were ritual. And so Jesus, in the middle of that, teaches proper prayer. It's never to be hypocritical. It's never to be mechanical. But it's interesting how amazing it is that even this prayer, when prayed wrongly, can become hypocritical and can become mechanical, isn't it? People can pray the Lord's Prayer in a large group. Hey, I think I know that one. I'll give it a shot. And it doesn't matter what they're saying to them. It doesn't matter how they're living. They just jump in there and pray it. And that's hypocritical. Or we can just pray it mechanically thinking it's time to do it and so we're going to do it and I'm just going to spit it out and never think about what it means. And so as we look at the Lord's Prayer, we see that it is God-centered at best, not self-centered. We've looked at so many aspects. Our Father, I love that part of it. We spent a week talking about that. That's God's paternity. In heaven, that's God's place prepared for us. Hallowed be the name, that's God's priority. Thy kingdom come, that's God's program. Thy will be done on earth and in heaven, that's God's purpose. Give us this day our daily bread, that's God's provision. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, that's God's pardon. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil, that's God's protection and That's what we've done so far. And today, as you know, our prayer closes with the doxology. And it's simply this. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Say that with me. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Depending on your Bible, you really don't find this in a lot of Bibles. Scholars argue back and forth about if this is even Scripture. We don't know if Jesus said it or not. Some manuscripts have it, some don't. But I know this, it is true. What we just said is true. His is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. It's true and I like it and it seems a a fitting crescendo or climax to a beautiful prayer. It is really found in Scripture in the Old Testament. It's an echo of First Chronicles 29, 11, which says the same thing. First Chronicles 29, 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and all that in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. In context, those words were spoken by King David near the end of his life. 
As you probably know, if you studied David, he wanted to build the temple. But God wouldn't let David build the temple. He saved that for David's son, Solomon. So David planned and David dreamed and David collected materials. And now it is Solomon's turn to be king. And arrangements have been made and it's finally going to happen. And the plans are coming together and the people were adding. They were being generous. And David is getting a glimpse of how it's going to work out. And that's when he says those words. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty. For all that is in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you're exalted as head over all. It reminds me of that last line of the Lord's prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For a couple of minutes, I want us to look at our kingdom versus God's kingdom. Our power versus God's power. And our glory versus God's glory. First, our kingdom. And I promise I'm not making this up. I have a granddaughter. She's not quite three years old. I don't know, maybe about like that, 30-something pounds. And Annabelle is, um, she's, she's interesting. Um, and her mother told us the other day, that Stephanie will be in the house doing something and Annabelle will come up to her. Stephanie, our daughter-in-law, the mother, Annabelle, the child, two years old. She'll be three next month. Annabelle will walk up to her mother, look up at her and say and ask, what are you doing in my castle? What are you doing in my castle? Annabelle has figured at two that this is her kingdom. And she is the ruler of this kingdom. And she's not real thrilled with competition. Now, that's cute for a two-year-old. But past the age of accountability, in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s, in your 50s, wherever you are, it's not cute anymore. It is not cute when we try to kick God out of our kingdom or out of his kingdom and make it ours. If we invest in our own kingdom, it's a bad investment. Our kingdoms are temporary. God's is forever. The first part of Psalms 145, 13 says this, for your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. People come, people go. God rules throughout all generations. Luke 1, about Jesus. He'll rule, reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. No end. But for us, for man, Psalms 103 puts it so very well in verses 15 and 16. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. And you just sang about 
that. We didn't get together. We didn't plan that. God did. Because God is a king and he knows what he's doing. We should know that we're not in charge. We should know that we are here for just a short while. We should know that if we want to be part of a kingdom that lasts forever, we should know King Jesus. As Easter approaches, we likely all know the question that the thief on the cross next to Jesus asked, one of the thieves. Luke tells us of this in chapter 23, beginning at verse 39. One of the criminals hanging beside Jesus scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it. Save yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, and I love his choice of words, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said that with hope, remember me. And he likely said that with regret because he realized he'd wasted his life on the wrong kingdom. Up until that moment, he had wasted his life. And he even admits it, I deserve to be killed for what I've done. We don't know what he's done. But God knew. And God helped him change kingdom in the blink of an eye. The thief that asked had worked on his own kingdom all his life and had gotten him nowhere. And finally he realized what we all must realize This world is not my kingdom, it is his. And so when the prayer ends for thine is the kingdom, that's good news. And it's a reminder that it is not mine, it is not yours, it is God's. Let's talk about power. There are a lot of directions we could go here about man's power. But through history, there have been some men who have tried to well, submit their power to the world and take over everything. I'll mention a few from history. Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great, Attila the Hun, Charlemagne, Julius Caesar, Napoleon Bonaparte, Adolf Hitler, are names of men who tried to conquer the world. What do they have in common? They're dead. They're gone. They have no power today whatsoever. If you want to read about God's power, and you can do it from Genesis to Revelation, but I started thinking of the book of Job Go home and read chapters 38, 39, 40, and 41 towards the end of the book of Job. I want to share with you a few things that God said about his own power to Job. When Job began to question, God speaks to Job finally. And in verse 4 through 9 of chapter 38 of the book of Job, God says this, probably in a voice louder than I will use today. To Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. 
Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who lays its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? God is reminding Job of real power. Look what I made, Job. What can you do? And as smart as we think we are and as far as we can come, we pale in comparison to any event God has done. In verse 12 of chapter 38, Job said, God says this to Job. Have you even commanded the morning to appear and cause the dawn to rise in the east? Nope. But God does every day. I want to read you Job's response in chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Then Job replied to the Lord after being put in his place, I am nothing. How could I ever find answers? I'll cover my mouth with my hand. I've said too much already. I have nothing more to say. Case closed. Compared to God, we have no power. We were at the beach this last week in, in Florida. And I th saw as we were heading back north, the signs that say evacuation route. And I felt so sorry for anybody that ever got stuck. You ever been stuck in an evacuation route trying to get out? I cannot imagine what that would be like. But to those people, they understand there's a power, there's a force coming that we can do nothing with and the only thing we can do is get out of Dodge. When God shows his power, we have to cover our mouth with our hands. There's nothing we can say. Finally, man's glory compared to God's glory. In our society, many people become famous and are adored and even worshiped. And some, I guess for a while, Receive glory. I'm a little young to remember when they first came, but some of you do. <clears throat> George, Paul, John, and Ringo. Remember them? The Beatles from Liverpool. Came to these United States of America and took the world by storm in the 60s. The Beatles were literally worshipped by some. In 1966, it had gotten to John Lennon's head, and he said the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. Remember that? A new generation has come that does not know the name John Lennon. They know the name Jesus. Scripture teaches that the glory of God the glory of Jesus will be everlasting. Philippians 2 puts it this way, beginning at verse 9. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we finish the Lord's Prayer, we should take great comfort in the words 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And as we finish the study, I think I could start over again and find much, much more. May God bless you as you pray, not as hypocrites, not as pagans, but as children who begin that prayer knowing that he's your father. Let us pray it together. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.